Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. And welcome back to another spring training edition of 30 with Murdy. This week, baseball begins to feel a little more real as position players report to camp and by the end of the week, we'll have real game action, exhibition game action to talk about. It starts off with a big one, Yankees and Red Sox from Fort Myers, Saturday, Saturday, February 23rd. That will also be the first of 11 exhibition games you can hear on WFAN. So again, it will begin to feel more like baseball season as you hear John Sterling and Susan Waldman calling the games. Only a little over five weeks left until the regular season begins, and we start to get a real look at how the improvements to the Yankees rotation take shape. The Yankees made two acquisitions to bolster the rotation, trading for lefty James Paxton from Seattle back in November, and then re-signing lefty Jay Happ in December. In this episode, you'll hear from both Paxton and Happ as they prepare for the start of the 2019 season. I've run into my share of Yankee fans who don't look at Happ as a new acquisition, but the fact is he started only 11 games for the Yankees after that July trade from Toronto. So to pencil him in for 30 starts this year is indeed an upgrade to the rotation. Happ earned a W in seven of his 11 starts without taking a loss. However, he lasted only two innings in his lone postseason start, a 5-4 loss to the Red Sox in Game 1 of the Division Series. So that last game left a bad taste in the mouth for many Yankees fans and for Happ as well. But as far as being a guy the Yankees needed to resign, don't lose sight of his 17-6 record, 3.65 ERA and 31 starts, six of them against the Red Sox or Yankees in the AL East. Happ opens the season at 36 years of age, a veteran pitcher, a different pitcher than when he broke in with the Phillies in 2007, and in a lot of ways a better one. Happ came to a realization during his career that he wasn't pitching the way he's capable of simply because he was focusing on the wrong things. Jay's recent success has been attributed to increased usage of his forcing fastball, throwing it to all quadrants, but also not being afraid to throw it up in the zone. I began our conversation by asking Jay how he got to that point, where increased fastball usage became a roadmap to more success on the mound. I think it was just a matter of being frustrated with um, the results for a couple of years. I spent a long time, a couple of years in this league trying to turn into the prototypical perfect percentage type pitcher where you could throw anything in any count and you threw, you know, all these different pitches at all times. And uh, I just re- finally realized, you know what, I'm not going to be here much longer if I don't figure it out. And I always felt like, you know what? And, I spent also a lot of time trying to learn how to throw forcing fastball down on the zone and I wish I had known a while back that it was okay to continue to throw it up in the zone but everybody wanted me to throw it down in the zone so I think it was just trial and error and then finally just trusting in you know the reason I got here in the first place so um, it's kind of just having faith in my stuff. I heard one of the comments you, you said was you spent a lot of time trying to be Maddox or Glavin 
who should you have been trying to be instead? Well, I think I thought I was going to get better trying to be that way, yeah. but uh, I'm not them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I worked really hard, as hard as I could to try to become that, but we're all built differently and we're all, I think, have success in different ways. So, uh, you know, whereas I can't be them, they probably couldn't maybe pitch the way I pitch either. So, and that's okay, but um, I just need to accept that and kind of, you know, realize that that, that can be successful. The Yankees as an organization don't throw a lot of fastballs. You know, pretty much every year they're, they're viewed as the team that throws a lot more sliders and off speed than fastballs, even though they have a lot of guys who throw high velocity fastballs. Was there any pushback, anything about the way you approach, the way you pitch versus the way they were doing things here when you first got here? There really wasn't, none at all. You know, the first meeting with Larry was like, you, you know, we've seen you for the last several years and we know you know you, you're successful we don't want to change anything we we want to help you if you want help and we want to give you information but um we want you to be you and we, we're not trying to change anything so that was that was great to hear and you know um i think that's the right way to approach it as you played about half your games on turf the last few years i would imagine the sinkers weren't necessarily a very good weapon for you <laughs> trying to watch those balls screw through a turf infield can it be more of a weapon? Do you want it to be more of a weapon for you now that you're not facing that same infield situation? I think it can be. You know, I think it's it's going to be really important for me to kind of uh, when I'm when I'm at my best, I'm using the, the two seamer and the four seamer, and I'm using that separation of those two pitches. So, um, you know, that's big for me. You know, they might both be fastballs, but they play different and they they look different. So trying to give um, the hitters different looks and um, change eye levels. You may have just answered this a minute ago, but I'm thinking, like, what's something you've learned that you wish you had learned when you were younger that's made you a better pitcher now? Is it just the idea that you kind of have to know what your stuff is and how it plays as opposed to what you think should be done? I think so. I think, you know, I, um, I spent, a, I think, just a lot of time and I didn't know it at the time, but it was trying to be somebody that maybe I was was never, but it's going to become, you know, but I, don't, I didn't know it until I tried and, and failed at it. And, you know, I finally realized and had some people that started believing in me and um, kind of let me be me a little bit. And um, But it, it was myself kind of getting out of my own way, I think, was the biggest thing and having faith in that. What can you learn having two other left-handers in the rotation here? Um, you know, it's interesting because the two other lefties with Pax and CC, you know, we all kind of pitch a little bit different. Um, we have de definitely different stuff. I mean, nobody has Pax and stuff, you know what I mean? And um, CC's got this incredible backdoor breaking ball and the ability to cut in on righties and um, really good changeup too. So uh, we all pitch a little bit different, but I think, you know, facing the same the people in our division so much and the teams over and over, I think it is nice to kind of see other teams' approaches in general against lefties. So, um, you know, it'll be fun to kind of pay attention to that. Yeah, and I know, I mean, you're always watching anyway, but is there a little more heightened sense of what those two guys are trying to do against maybe a lineup you're going to face the next day or the day after? It's nice to kind of, you know, for them to be on our my side and uh, being able to kind of pick their brand on what they're trying to do. Um, you know, and they're both really fun to watch too. So that it makes it easy to uh, kind of be in on that. You uh, you played with Paxton for a short while in Seattle. What yeah. what do you remember about the pitcher he was then and the pitcher he's become? Uh, I saw I saw the glimpses when I was there. Unfortunately, he got hurt um, a little bit into the time we were together. But uh, 
you know, and last year I, he threw a no-hitter against yeah. us up in Toronto. So uh, I've seen it, and I w unfortunately wasn't surprised when it happened because I know the type of talent he is. Um, so we're hoping to see, you know, certainly not expecting no-hitters, but, yeah. uh, you know, we know what the potential he has. So it should be fun to watch him work. What do you remember about the, seeing that no-hitter up close? It was just, you know, there's always certain things got to go the right way. But, man, he was he was punching tickets with his breaking ball, and he was overpowering with his fastball. And one of the last plays of the game, Seeger made a diving play at third. You know, that those type of plays that you need to get something like that. Um, but he was dominant, and, uh, you know, it was a bummer from our side. But, uh, you know, I'm sure, sure they celebrated and enjoyed it. One of the things that I had forgotten about you that I had to look up was you had an incident where you got hit in the head in the line drive five years, six years ago now. Um, Danny Farquhar, who was also one of your teammates once, is in the clubhouse now with a specially designed cap. Um, is there any thought to something like I mean, it hasn't happened for you since, knock on wood, but is there any thought to having that be something you would want to consider using? There was, and, and for a period of time after that, I was talking to a couple different companies about trying to, and I sort of tried a lot of stuff on for them and tried to work with them about getting something together, and um, that didn't come to fruition. I, it still needed to be comfortable. You don't want to be self-conscious or uncomfortable out there. Um, I'm sure it's coming further along, um, but at the time, it wasn't quite where it needed to be. Do you think about it still, or is it kind of out of your mind? Not for extended periods. I mean, there's plenty of scares. I've gotten hit all over my body, you know, but, um, you know, it, it flashes every once in a while when a ball ball whizzes by there. But, um, you know, luckily, I think the, for me the benefit, unfortunately, was I was out longer with a knee injury sustained when I got hit in the head than actually for the head. Um, so when I came back, my focus was how's my leg feel when I land? Can I turn on it? Can I put all my weight on it? And... Um, so that kind of helped me not be as focused about comebackers. Last thing for you, how hard was it to sit on that last playoff start after having such a good year and making the playoffs and then have to sit on that one last start the whole winter? Um, yeah, I think, you know, baseball is baseball and kind of thing, things happen one way or another. It could That's the difference in the game, right? It's just a little bit or one pitch or, or whatever you want to say. But um I don't think I dwelled on it too much. It certainly was disappointing, and it's you know stings and it stung when they end up you know w winning that series, um, and I didn't get another shot um, at them. But um, you know what do we play them 18 times, so we're going to have plenty of opportunities. <laughs> um, so and I know it's going to be a, a battle all year long. The Yankees and Red Sox play the first two of their 19 meetings April 16th and 17th at Yankee Stadium. And remember, those two teams will be playing in London in late June. And because of that little schedule quirk, the Yankees don't actually visit Fenway Park until the last week in July, two weeks after the All-Star break. The other big pitching move the Yankees uh, for the Yankees happened so early in the offseason that people tend to forget that James Paxton hasn't actually pitched for the Yankees yet. And for those in the game, this was a big move for the Yankees, a potential frontline starter who has shown the ability and still has more in him. As Brian Cashman said, when he made the trade, the Yankees feel like Paxton is trending up. They gave up a big piece in pitching prospect Justice Sheffield, but the Yankees are clearly building for the now, and they thought Paxton was the right move to make. 
Remember, it was only two years ago the Yankees traded for Sonny Gray, and that didn't turn into the deal they had hoped, so they went shopping again. This time, they brought in Paxton, hoping he has the ability to adjust to New York and the big expectations here. Paxton is 30 years old, but still has only four-plus years of big league service time. He was a first-round pick out of the University of Kentucky in 2009, but didn't pitch his best baseball until the last two seasons. In 52 starts over that time, Paxton was 23-11, 3.40 earned run average. He had a whip of 1.1, struck out over 11 batters per innings, with a 4.6 strikeouts-to-walk ratio. That's 4.6 strikeouts for every one walk. I sat down with Paxton this week to learn a little more about him as a pitcher and a person, but I began by asking him what he's learned about being a Yankee and what that means. Yeah, you know, I think the thing that I've noticed so far, I haven't been at camp very long, um, but just the way it's run is, like, very professional, you know, which I really enjoy. And, uh, you know, the guys are here to put in the work, you know, and, I, and I'm like that too. You know, I'm here to put in the work, and it seems like everyone is uh, – He's here to win and really, you know, here to work hard. And, and I enjoy that because that's how I feel I am, and I feel like I'm fitting in really well here. As I said, the trade was early in the offseason, so you've had a lot of time. What did you do during the offseason? What were you trying to, to get accomplished as far as getting, you know, making sure you're comfortable in your new surroundings when you got here? Yeah, I didn't change a whole lot, yeah. you know. Um, I didn't... Uh, I kind of sunk in more and more as as time went on through the through the off season that I was going to be a Yankee. You know, I had been a Mariner for so so long. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any different. Um, but I definitely started to feel feel that kind of uh, that coming on, and uh, just got more and more comfortable with it as the off season went on. Had more conversations with Larry and uh, and also Boone, uh, talking about spring training and. Um, just asking how I was doing, asking if I had found a place to live yet. They're, you know, willing to help me with that if I needed help. But I had a, had some realtors kind of helping me out find a place. So it all it all worked out, and I'm feeling I'm feeling. I saw my wife yesterday. I'm feeling really comfortable here right now. That's great. The uh, the one thing I noticed I saw one of your Instagram posts. You know, I'm a Braun electric shaver guy myself. So <laughs> yeah, so go. Braun helped you out and get you all uh, straightened out for this uniform. They did. Yep. I knew that. Uh, I knew the beard had to go. <laughs> I, I kept it for the off season, um, but uh, it was time for the beard to go. Wanted to, uh, you know, obviously the the shave rule is a thing here. So yeah. um, I'm back to being babyface. That's funny. I, I haven't been clean shaven I don't think since I first met my wife which was I think eight years ago now mm-hmm. so it's been a while since I've been been clean shaven so here's the important part does your wife like it she's I think it's growing on her okay. she, she really enjoyed the beard but uh, I think that she's starting to get used to the, to the clean face <laughs> one of the things that Aaron Boone talked about last year when he first got mm-hmm. here and kind of reinforced again embracing expectations and last year I think his phrase was expect to be great which is what he, he told the team first first day last year. Uh, it seems like that fits into, from what I've been told about everybody, the people that know you, that that message really seems to fit into what you're trying to do, embracing expectations, expect to be great. Yes, exactly. You know, I I try to focus as much as I can on, on the pitching, you know, um, not focus so much on um, what everyone's seeing, what the expectations are. I feel like if I go out there and I can control what I want to control or ha- the things that I can control and, uh, you know, do those to the best of my bi- ability, I'm going to put myself in a good spot to have success. Your pitching coach in Seattle was Mel Stoudemire Jr. 
uh, he he raved about you, uh, and in the times I spoke to him over the winter, uh, you were pretty close working with him the last few years, didn't you? Yeah, we worked together really well uh, in in Seattle. Uh, it taught me a lot, helped me figure out my pitching style, what worked for me, um, developing certain pitches. Um, he helped me with my my spin on my curveball a couple of years ago. Uh, we worked a lot on my cutter. Uh, the changeup was kind of a thing we worked on in the bullpen quite a bit and something that I continue to work on uh, this offseason um, and something I'm hoping to be able to use this year a little bit more. What did he do to help you help you get through games? Like how, how was he helpful in that regard? He would talk to me if, uh, if guys were – if he would uh, see how a team was approaching me because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes teams would take a team approach against me in certain ways and they'd do it differently. You know, sometimes they'd be really aggressive or sometimes they'd try and wait me out and uh, try to work the counts and try and get me out of the game early. So if he thought that I wasn't pitching, you know, to whatever that um, approach was against me, he'd come talk to me about it and say, hey, so what are you seeing? Why are you doing this? That kind of thing. And just talk to me about the approach that the other team's taking against me and how we can combat that. Mel's dad was a Yankee great and as a pitcher and a pitching coach, and he passed very recently, and I know it was uh, – um, the family felt a lot of outpouring from a lot of people. I heard you were at the funeral too, as uh, I was. just as respects to Mel Jr. Or did you have any any interactions with his dad? I had met his dad a few times, um, had a couple conversations, um, and he was he was a great man, you know, um, just a really a plus guy. And the family is just you know really great. Um, I'm really close to Mel uh, Jr. and um, wanted to show my support for them because I know how how hard this is on them because they're such a close knit family. And it was it was kind of a who's who at that uh, at that I heard. I mean, obviously he touched so many lives. There's a lot of great people from baseball around there, weren't there? Absolutely, there really was. I mean, there were some great speeches made, uh, really heartfelt, and uh, you know, it definitely made me get a lump in, lump in my throat. It's just really. Really great to hear some of the, the accounts from people who had uh, great experiences with, uh, with Mel Sr. and just the, the impact and the, the lives that he touched. I was reading a piece in The Athletic from last year that Jason Jenks wrote about you, and he, he focused on your drive for perfection and how it, you know, the roots of it came from just playing catch with your dad when you were a kid. Is that, uh, is that the memory that you recall of how, how you, your drive to be perfect was born even at that young an age? Yeah, man, I remember when I was uh, really young, we were out in the park behind our house, and uh, I wanted it to pop the mitt every time, you know, and when I didn't hit, throw it right to his glove and didn't pop the mitt, I'd get all upset and throw my glove and stuff, and my dad would say, oh, James, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to go inside if you're going to be like this, and I'd be like, I'd pick up my glove, I'd, you know, wipe my tears, whatever, and I'd be mm-hmm. like, all right, let's go. Let's do it again. You know, and I just kept on going, kept on going. And, uh, you know, I've had to learn how to um, manage that perfectionism. I think I talked about it in that article a little bit. Um, some of it has shown up in my pitching um, where sometimes I try to aim the ball too much and it takes my life away uh, from my pitches. So I have to not try to – I can't aim the ball. You know, I need to be throwing it as hard as I can to a spot um, so that I can still keep that life. How did that need to be perfect affect you in the minors or early in your big league career? Did it hold you back in any ways, you think? Um, it could have. You know, I think that um, part of it maybe was trying to 
get too good at so many things. You know, I wanted to be perfect at everything, mm-hmm. and that's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I've talked to multiple people who have been around for a while, and they say, you know, that you should try to be really good at a few things, you know, because to be good, to be great at everything is really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you look back at Hall of Famers, like, they're really good at three or four things, yeah. but they dominate those three or four things, mm-hmm. you know. So I really tried to focus more on what are my strengths, what do I do well, and how do I get as as good as I can at, the, at those things? Um, and then also, like I said, like the aiming the ball thing and trying to hit the corners too much. I think that the kind of pitcher that I am, being a power pitcher, I needed to attack the zone more and kind of go to bigger spots instead of trying to throw the ball to a, a tiny little spot. Um, so the last couple of years, I've been focusing more on throwing the ball to a general location instead of like a, you know, dotting it in the strike zone. And I feel like it's kind of gotten me ahead in counts more. I've been able to go deeper in games, keeping my pitch count down, which is really important for me. Is that is that one of the things? When you talk about trying to find the two or three or four things that you can be great at, is, is locating those pitches part of it? Is there anything else to that? I think that um, using the plate, you know, the whole plate, starting off early, not trying to hit um, the tiny spots. But for me, you know, I'm – my best fastball is my glove side fastball. Mm-hmm. You know, the high fastball uh, really has been working well for me. The cutter and uh, and the curveball have been my have been my pitches. Um, and I know they're going to talk to me a little bit about some analytics stuff that they've got going on here. Um, having broken down my pitches, and uh, they're going to be able to tell me what my best pitches are based on the analytics. And I'm excited to see that stuff so that I can implement that stuff into my game as well. The glove side fastball, I've heard other people, Mike Messina, who just recently elected to the Hall of Fame, used to tell me he used to know he was ready for the season to start when he could spot that fastball to the outside corner, well, outside part of the plate to a right-handed batter. Mm-hmm. And obviously you're left-handed, so you're talking about the, the other side of the plate. But is that uh, something that's kind of a marker for you as far as figuring out you know, how, how you're ready for the season or how you're doing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because I think for me, everything plays off the fastball, you know, so if I can get to a really good place with my fastball and feel good about that and really, you know, nailing that inside corner, that's when I know everything else is going to play off that. My mechanics are right, my timing is right, and I'm ready to go. You talked about this a little bit, but your need to be perfect, it's channeled a little bit better now. I mean, did you feel like it's under control or are there still times when, when it might get away from you? There's definitely times, yeah. but I'm much better at uh, bringing it back to where I need to be. You know, I'm, I spend more, most of my time in a, in a place where I need to be now, but it does creep back in, and I just have to be aware of it, and then I can bring myself back to where I need to be mentally with that. How does having two other left-handers in the rotation with Jay Happ and CC Sabathia help you as far as preparing when you get to watch those guys pitch on the days you're not pitching? It's going to be great. You know, I'm really excited to work with those guys. I got to work with Jay um, mm-hmm. in Seattle a little bit. Really enjoy him. Um, we've talked about pitching a lot already, and I look forward to more conversations. Uh, really looking forward to learning from CC. I'm so glad that I uh, have get to play a season with him. I know mm-hmm. this is being his, this is his last season, and I just feel really grateful and lucky that I've that I get to spend a season with him, learning from him. Um, Watching him pitch, how he does it, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to him about that, and uh, just also his leadership and how he, you know, runs a ball club. And uh, everyone seems to go to him, you know, for to ask the questions and be like, "What should I do? How do I do this?" And uh, you know, I want to learn how to how to do that as well. 
Has that been evident to you already? Like what, what kind of role he plays just leading this team? Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, you, I'm, I think I'm two or three lockers down from him and you can totally tell that he's the go-to guy around here and it's, it's so cool and he handles it so well. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing to watch. Some of the things we talked about, you know, just channeling emotions, and I read about, you know, your big league debut had a lot happening in it. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, big league debut was a crazy day. I, uh, I woke up to a phone call from my dad, my uncle. They were driving back from my, uh, my grandpa's. Uh, my grandpa just passed away. They were, they were with him when he passed away, and they were, they were talking as they are driving back to their homes um, of whether or not they should tell me. And they, they decided that they should tell me. So I, they woke me up. Um, I think it was like 9.30 a.m., something like that. They called and told me that he had passed away. So, I, you know, I woke up and I was in tears, you know, because I, I was close to my grandpa and, you know, had a lot of uh, times, good times with him growing up and everything. And it was, it was tough. And then also I had my debut that game uh, that, that day. And uh, I remember sitting in my locker before the game and I was just like, I was shaking. I didn't tell anybody this had happened in, okay. in the morning. Um, but I was just shaking, like from nerves to pitch my first game, and my grandpa just passing away. But then, like right before I went out, for some reason, like this like calm came over me, and I just got up out of my chair, walked out, and went to work. And I remember before my first pitch, I think it was after my warmups, I pointed up to the sky and knew that my grandpa was watching, had the best seat in the house, and went out and had a pretty good game, and we won. And uh, I mean, the great part was is that because it was my debut, I had so many family members there. I think there was like 50 family members there because I have a pretty big family. And uh, we all got to meet up afterwards and celebrate the, the game and talk about Grandpa. And it was almost like we talked about as a family how Grandpa almost planned it so we could all be together yeah. on that day mm -hmm. that he passed just to kind of celebrate and mourn his passing. You're, uh, so the big family is uh, what? A lot of brothers and sisters? Uh, not for me. I have one brother, but my dad has uh, five siblings, okay. and they all have pretty big families as well. So uh, there was a lot of them there, and then also friends as well were there. Are they uh, are they planning on trips to New York to, to come watch you? Yep, they're going to be there for the beginning of the season. My parents will be there with my uncle and aunt, um, and then I've got some friends that are going to plan some trips out. I think my brother is going to come out as well with his girlfriend. So it's starting to fill up pretty quick. <laughs> And you're, um, you had one very brilliant day in Canada last year. It was obvious you're Canadian. And uh, you have three, more, three trips a year up there. That's, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's pretty exciting for your family. Yeah, that'll be great. You know, I think uh, because uh, Sportsnet, you know, kind of runs the, uh, the TV up there, um, they'll get all the games on TV in BC. So all my friends and family get to watch, wow. uh, which is really cool. And I've got a cousin that lives in uh, Toronto. And a really good friend that lives in Toronto as well. So it'll be cool to see them a little bit more. There's a lot of small town, family, community type things about you. Um, how do you think you're going to fare in, in New York? I mean, you, you've decided to live in, in the city. Mm -hmm. How do you think uh, it's going to treat you? I think it'll be good. It'll be exciting. You know, I'm, I'm ready for it. My, my wife's actually spent, she lived in New York uh, in the city for six months during college because uh, she did a study abroad uh, mm -hmm. thing there and she kind of learned the subway system and all mm -hmm. that so she's going to be kind of showing me around how to do it and everything so that'll be helpful but uh, I've also have friends that live in Greenwich Village that are that are really close by mm -hmm. so they can kind of show us the ropes and stuff so uh, I'm excited about it it's going to be a fun fun experience.
Shortly after the Yankees traded for Paxton, I had a long conversation with Mel Stottlemyre Jr. about the 30-year-old left-hander. You can go back and check that out on our archive. Another little anecdote about that, I was chatting in the clubhouse on Sunday morning with Jack Curry of the S Network and Ron Guidry, the Yankee great who's back for another year as a spring training instructor. Gator told us he'd kept in touch with Mel Stottlemyre Sr. up until his recent passing, and when they talked about pitching, Paxton's name would often come up. Mel was a big fan of his, and Guidry secretly hoped the Yankees would acquire him. Guidry told Curry and me that like Paxton's, that he liked Paxton's easy delivery. Very excited to see him pitch in the Yankees uniform. Hope you enjoyed listening to my conversations with Jay Happ and James Paxton. Much more from Yankees Camp in Tampa, available on WFAN and WFAN.com. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter at Yankees WFAN on Instagram at Sweeney underscore Murdy. Remember, only two E's in Sweeney. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.